0: Welcome to this episode of Mapping Out Ethereum 2.0 with Christine Kim and Ben Edgington. Join the conversation as the ETH 2.0 Dream Team discuss its live development, its potential impact on the crypto markets, and spotlight major Ethereum news events as they develop. This episode is sponsored by PumaPay. And just a reminder, CoinDesk is a new source and does not provide investment advice.
1: All right, welcome
0: back to Mapping Out ETH
1: 2.0, a weekly show about Ethereum and Ethereum 2.0 development, hosted by yours truly, Christine Kim and Consensus' Ben Edgington. Did you know, Ben, that we got fan mail last week for the show?
2: Hey, Christine. That's wonderful. But you know, it doesn't count if it's from my mother. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's not from more. your Tell mother, Ben. Unless your mother's username is Janella80. So on Apple podcast, she left us a comment last Thursday that said, quote, the best TLDR podcast for the ETH 2.0 transition. The podcast has kept me up to date with the goings on with minimum effort on my part. A must for anyone involved financially, but not technologically.
2: That's terrific, isn't it? That's exactly what we're aiming for. So that's really good to hear. Thank you, Janula 80.
1: Yes. Thank you for the high praise. We hope you enjoy this episode of the show, which we're going to kick off with our community segment and a special guest.
2: So this week on the show, Christine and I are joined by Konstantin Boyko romanovsky hope I've got that uh, right. Konstantin, CEO of AllNodes. AllNodes is a non-custodial platform that hosts blockchain nodes and runs staking services. On behalf of users. Uh, it supports 17 different cryptocurrencies, including Ethereum 2.0, and runs over 5,000 virtual private servers. Does that sound about right, Konstantin? Have I introduced you correctly? Yes, it's correct, but we have more coins. <laughs> more? More than about, 17? About 27. Wow, that's incredible. Tell us uh, a bit about the origin story for all nodes and how you got into the crypto space give us a bit of a background of your story
3: first i want to say hi ben (laughs) we have a relationship before so uh, nice to see you today
2: it's great and you're correct although until very very recently i didn't know your real name i know you by sefiroth (laughs) and we have corresponded for a number of months on technical topics but so it's a real pleasure to actually uh, see you face to face and chat with you Uh, it's a pleasure for me as well
3: so about story, it's very simple. I joined Crypto a little bit late. It was in two thousand sixteen December. It was started when my friends sent me a small part of Bitcoin, and I saw every day how it was growing. Then maybe one or two weeks later, I got four more and bought some Bitcoins because it was increasing every day. And for me, it was a big increase at that time. And when I saw 10% per three days, it was so crazy. So I decided to go all in, in Bitcoin at that time. And then my journey started. And about all nodes, the idea appeared when I participated in one ICO in 2017. And there were a lot of cheap nodes on my balance, which I, I tried to find the way to host them without issues. It was really a big amount of nodes. And then I decided to build my own service where I can host my nodes. So I was building it for myself first, and then uh, I decided to make it for people.
1: What was the ICO that you bought into in 2017? Uh, I'm curious to know. I don't
3: don't want to promote this ICO. It, It is still alive. And if you make some small research, you will definitely find this ICO.
1: Oh, yeah, so well we all made some unfortunate decisions in the 2017 2018 craze, but we're all out here on the other side, well and alive. It was some pretty crazy times back in 2017. but I, I do want to tell you I mean, I did some LinkedIn stalking on you, Constantine, and I noticed that you're not just the founder of all nodes, you're actually the founder of two other companies that are completely not related to crypto either, like the two other companies are about. I think it was like video games and gaming distribution. How do you ever have time to sleep? I mean, (laughs) managing three companies, that that sounds like a lot of
3: work. You are correct. Uh, I didn't have uh, a relax since 2017, but I really love it. I really love what I do. And I don't spend uh, too much time there because I have a team that works on that side. So I focused on 80% on all nodes.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, you started off by saying that it's not just 17 cryptocurrencies that you guys provide, but now over, what was the number? It was over 20, Uh, right? It was 27? 27
3: and it will be 28 and 29 in two days.
1: Okay. Wow. So I want to talk about how you evaluate the kind of cryptocurrencies you choose to run nodes for. As I understand, proof of work mining nodes. So nodes that are, are for Bitcoin or Ethereum currently, they're very energy intensive, very computationally, take up a lot of your, your computer's resources. But when it comes to proof of stake nodes, nodes that are created for the Ethereum 2.0 beacon chain, that are created for other proof of stake networks like Avalanche, the criteria and the kind of requirements are a lot smaller. Can you talk about some of the newest cryptocurrencies that you are planning on onboarding to all nodes and how you guys evaluate what not to?
3: Sure. Uh, The latest crypto which we will will list in the next time, uh, it will be Polygon and um, Matic ticker. And it's quite popular right now everywhere because it solves the main Ethereum problem, scaling problem, and you have a node there and it is very popular. But we didn't list it yet because our team is quite small and don't have too much time to publish all our coins on all nodes because listing includes not only setup of a node, but also adding coin to our portfolio and you can detect your rewards there status of your stake, everything. So it takes significant time. And then uh, we will release uh, Matic tomorrow and it will be possible to monitor not only uh, delegations to our node, but to any other node. So it will be not restricted to only our so node. So it's
1: not really anything about hardware requirements or, or
3: computation I,
1: requirements. It's it, really it, just it, popularity. What's the most popular uh, cryptocurrency out there?
3: About hardware requirements, we are working with uh, proof of stake on coins. And if we take all proof-of-stake coins or all servers on all nodes, it will be not more than 3,000 miners of Bitcoin and we have thousands of nodes. So we cannot compare mining and uh, staking. Staking is much more efficient in terms of energy consumption.
1: So it's all exclusively proof-of-stake nodes for the yes, purposes yes. Of how just how resource intensive it is to run nodes of proof of work blockchains. And then within proof of stake networks, you've got the rankings of what are the most popular proof of stake networks that's worth it to start offering to our users. And right now, Polygon is a really hot topic. So you've got that coming up for all nodes. Very cool. Among the different proof of stake blockchains, I understand that Ethereum 2.0, nodes are not as computationally intensive as some proof of stake blockchains like Solana, but it's also a little bit more computationally intensive than proof of stake networks like, I think it was Polkadot. Ethereum 2.0, as I understand, kind of falls somewhere in the middle in terms of its power usage. Can you tell me a little bit about some of the unique things about running an ETH 2.0 node as opposed Uh, to other proof of stake networks?
3: my quote from december was that ethereum 2.0 is like playing diablo on nightmare mode i didn't sleep well for 2 months when ethereum when ethereum was launched because there is a risk of slashing and when everybody was in rush we started the development, not like everybody else started maybe a half year ago in June, 2020, we start, started in early November. So we had about one month to prepare everything. And it was so significant rush, the, the, my, my main uh, concern was not to get our nodes slashed. And the slashing is really cruel in Ethereum. I didn't sleep well and I think Ethereum setup is the, the most stressful um, among all other coins. About you hear stress, that, it, Ben? It, it, it's
1: stressful. It, it, <laughs> <laughs> and I have to agree with you there. Setting up the Ethereum 2.0 node for Coindesk, that was such a stressful process.
2: <laughs> it's this threat of slashing. I mean, being slashed is not so bad. It's if there's a mass slashing and everybody loses their whole stake. That, that's really bad. But an individual slashing, you lose less than one ETH, your stake's locked up. For the next year or so, but you know, worst things happen. People worry great deal about it. I think it's fair to say, Constantin, you know, no reflection on all nodes, but the Ethereum 2 protocol was not designed with staking services in mind. It was very much designed for individual stakers. So it's part of the decentralized push. So we don't do delegated proof of stake out of the box, for example. So It's deliberately not supposed to be easy.
0: Afraid of missing out on the latest crypto opportunities? Well, then it's time to head on over to Pumapay.io. Pumapay's first liquidity pool is now live on PancakeSwap. Deposit liquidity today and claim your share of a 750 million PMA token reward. Hurry now. Visit Pumapay.io today. That's Pumapay.io.
2: I mean, For a CEO, I know for a fact that you are deep into the weeds, <laughs> you, know, you know your tech stuff, and we've talked a lot about the protocol over the past months. What's your kind of general impression of Ethereum 2 as a protocol, slashing aside, compared with some of the others that you're dealing with?
3: Good question. Um, what I love in Ethereum is that it is stable. You can launch Node, and it will work. It didn't crash. It's working since December without issues. So reorganizations happened, but uh, it is controlled and the chain didn't stack. Only one situation happened because of one client, but it was not because of problems with code. So Ethereum is very stable, in my opinion, uh, network. We stake a lot of coins and there are different issues starting from chain is stuck fork happened and we need to download blockchain repair everything there is no such thing in ethereum but if if such thing would happen in ethereum it will be not nightmare
2: it will be very bad
3: <laughs>
2: people will not sleep well because of the relative value of ethereum compared to others is that your... yeah, because of slashing losing
3: money and if Bitcoin node is not stable it will be crazy journey for
2: everybody not only for big hosting services but for every user yes i mean as a product manager of a client team i feel that <laughs> any hint of an incident definitely uh, sounds all the alarm bells and is all hands on deck yeah absolutely we're all in it together
1: i wonder if the decentralized just the topic of you know the protocol wasn't really made for Stakers, staking pools, or staking services like all nodes. It was made for individuals. You have developers who are trying to push decentralization of the network. And I'm curious to know, Constantine, what your stance is on promoting ETH 2.0 decentralization, coming from the point of view that all nodes, some people might consider it to be a centralizing force on Ethereum 2.0. The risks for Uh, staking on on all nodes because you run so many validators is a lot higher than if an individual were to just run one validator themselves. At the same time, the rewards will probably be a lot more lucrative the more validators that you run. But curious to know what your thoughts are on how all nodes can be a force of good on Ethereum 2.0.
3: Good question. Thank you. Yes, there can be concerns about some sort of centralization, but on the other side, We are solving multiple issues and save people from losing their money who are not too touch savvy because we offer not only hosting service for such people in in several clicks, we also completely changed Ethereum Launchpad, made own setup which protects, for example, from double deposits. We were using Launchpad first months and there were problems that people Made uh, double deposits for validators uh, because uh, uh, maybe it's, it's too much details. But it was a big problem when person generated case for Ethereum, then made deposit, then he forgot or didn't understand that deposit was already made, and then he sent another deposit for the same case, and uh, Ethereum smart contract didn't uh, check that it was the same deposit. So uh, he finished with uh, 68 Ethereum on his validator node, luckily the Ethereum is not lost, but we also made the Ethereum depositor so you can make easy deposits with protection. So we are trying to do something to make people's life easier, to make them spend their time not only on constant updates and they are sleeping well and we are sleeping not well <laughs> because we, we worry about their nodes.
1: That still sounds like we're all on different teams. We're on the user side. We're, we're on the team of let's make life easier for the users. And developers like Ben, let's make life harder for users. And let's <laughs> make their life more difficult with greater penalties, <laughs> slashing,
2: etc. Right. It's, et it's me against so. the users. So without wanting to kind of make a commercial for Allnodes, I do have to observe that not only is Allnodes one of the best value for money staking services that's available. But something I do is I track uh, staking service performance as kind of part of my day job. And anyone can do this. It's all on-chain data. So there's no kind of secret uh, source here. And I have to say that Allnodes is consistently the best performing service in terms of rewards earned by the validators for Ethereum 2. I don't know about your other chains. I I don't track those. But for ETH 2, it's consistently the best performing and my question is, how do you do that? I mean, what what's your kind of secret to being able to deliver this quality of service?
3: Very interesting question. Because uh, first of all, it is luck. Why it is luck? Because uh, when we started the development period, it was too late. And we were to choose a cl- client. So there were about three or four clients uh, at that time. And our, our developer said, let's choose Teku." because it is new, it is for institutions, and it doesn't require Ethereum uh, one uh, full node. Uh, two weeks after we launched a node and found some missed blocks. We asked a question in Teco uh, why it happened, and then we, we got information that full node was required. <laughs> so it was about luck, but other are doing great as well. And uh, if in January there was a significant difference between different taking pools and services, Right now, the difference is quite small.
2: Everything is doing great. Yeah, I think people are learning uh, how to run this thing. And generally speaking, performance is converging to to optimals. Not true of every service. I I won't name names, but uh, most are converging on good. Yeah, you are doing some sort of magic. You're outperforming even our own Teku nodes. And I don't don't know how you're doing that. So you're doing something right.
1: I like the competition between the ET.0 yeah. software clients. I, I do think that it's ridiculous to think it's just all about rainbows and sunshine hand holding. Yeah.
2: We're in a kind of coopetition phase. We're still developing the protocol, so we have to be friends. We have to communicate and work together to do that. But in terms of sort of adoption and performance and so forth, then uh, not exactly the knives are out, but we tease each other constantly about this. So it's a friendly competition exactly we are are not against any
3: clients more clients better quality i believe
2: yeah yeah exactly so christine shall we talk about markets things what have you got for us on the uh, market side of stuff today
1: yes well have you guys heard of the iron finance defi protocol
2: oh yeah is that the thing that mark cuban aped into and then got burnt
1: yeah, Constantine, have you heard about this?
2: Yes, I've heard and I have seen
3: that he immediately asked to make laws that will control DeFi. <laughs> it was funny to read. <laughs>
1: he did, he did. So for our listeners, I just wanted to give a news update about what happened in the, in the DeFi markets this past week. There's a DeFi protocol called Iron Finance that went from a market capitalization of $2 billion to near zero in less than 24 hours. How did this happen? Well, Iron Finance is this bank, it's a decentralized finance bank that got caught up in a quote unquote negative feedback loop where certain whales, meaning large token holders, started to remove liquidity from the bank vaults, which is very concerning. And, and Iron Finance, one of their primary products is a stable coin that's pegged to the U.S. dollar. And this stable coin called iron is collateralized with USDC, which is another US dollar backed stablecoin, and another cryptocurrency called Titan tokens. So iron is collateralized by USDC and Titan. But basically these whales started to take out their Titan and sell it for iron and then sell their iron for USDC, which caused the whole dollar peg of iron to go out of whack. And this made the value of the protocol plummet in a very short amount of time. The peg that the iron stablecoin was supposed to maintain started to trade just way off around 69 cents was where one of the CoinDesk reporters saw it hovering at. Basically one of the high profile investors or users of iron protocol is, is Mark Cuban. And Mark Cuban, because of the money that he said he lost because of what had happened on Iron Finance. He he said he wanted regulators to start getting involved and be more specific about the rules and the legislations around stablecoins. This caused a frenzy on Twitter. Can regulation be brought to the DeFi ecosystem? Will events like this further propel regulators to get involved? So the Iron Finance Protocol guys also because of this had sent out their own message to the crypto universe and, and the blog post that they post out, quote, what we just experienced is the worst thing that could happen to the protocol, a historical bank run in the modern high-tech crypto space, end quote. So maybe just for the last like two minutes of our show, wanted to get your guys's takes on whether or not you think Mark Cuban's response to what had happened, calling for more regulation, especially when it comes to stable coins, is valid? Do you think that there will be some kind of a a regulatory action taken because of this? How do you think it's going to impact the DeFi space?
3: I'm not sure that this one situation will have significant impact on DeFi space because we had the issues before, like DAO hack. I personally think that uh, there is no progress without mistakes. Uh, it is impossible to develop something sustainable from the first attempt. You need to make mistakes, you need to try something, new ideas. So, what we see now is a new idea that was failed. And that is why, for me personally, I'm not investing all my money in, in new ideas. I am not sure that uh, it is correct to call for regulation immediately after the first fail you found in crypto space. So I'm not sure that uh, everybody will forget about this in in one week.
1: No, I don't think people are going to forget either. And in all fairness, I mean, this is not the first of the hacks of people losing money in the crazy DeFi boom of 2020 and continues on to 2021. Ben, what are your thoughts about this whole Iron Finance fiasco?
2: There is a, a tendency, I think, in this space to see regulators as the enemy and regulation as bad, right? It stops us doing things we want to do. But I think that's kind of an extreme position. What I think would be a reasonable way forward in you know years to come is a regulated segment of the space, not shutting down every DeFi protocol or, or whatever, because that's futile. You, you can never do that but there could be a ring-fenced regulated sector of DeFi, which is, you know, audited, follows certain rules, is available in certain jurisdictions and, you know, plays plays by the the regulator's uh, agenda and and rules. Um, And then there's the kind of unregulated Wild West DeFi where you have no protection. And I think allowing both to flourish would serve as, uh comfort for those who don't want to kind of be in crypto wild west but also allow you know the inevitable which is more and more innovation in DeFi. and as constantin says yeah you know, sometimes it's going to go wrong i mean we're exploring a brand new space people are trying out all sorts of really innovative ideas and sometimes unforeseen things happen i would be sad if that were closed down i don't think it can be but the regulators can make it quite hard for us if they want to But I think there's also a place for a regulated part of DeFi. Not everybody wants to be their own bank. Banks do offer some advantages like insurance and compensation and service guarantees and so on. Uh, I don't think the regulators necessarily are our enemy. I think we can work together and come up with some good ways forward.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I mean, one of the things that this highlights is the importance for users to do their own research. I think one of the difficulties about iron protocol is that it's its way of creating a stable coin was not quite stable and for many individuals seeing the launch of a product like the iron token it's pegged to the us dollar and not doing further research on how is iron token actually pegged to the us dollar when they say iron token is a stablecoin, what are the mechanisms behind that stablecoin that's supposed to give it stability? As Ben and I talked last week, there's a lot of controversy also about if you talk about a, a protocol with validators, you might not quite understand the term and how it's used in the context. It could mislead you into thinking certain things about a protocol that are not true of it. And I think when it comes to the iron finance fiasco, What I definitely saw was even if regulators were to come in with a definition for stablecoin, there's still gonna be people using the term incorrectly. And the best thing that users can do is make sure that they do their own research into a protocol before putting too much money into it.
2: And regulation is slow. I mean, this whole line financing played out over a few days, as far as I know, whereas uh, regulation takes years. Can you imagine a sort of new DeFi protocol submitting itself to that and it's you know going to go stale very quickly yeah i think in today's market christine you're totally right don't put in any more than you can afford to lose do your own research be ultra cautious but i think the regulators also not our enemy we should work with them and come to constructive places for the mass market the people who just do not want or do not have time to do their research or do not want to do that they just want something they can rely on
1: yeah don't get me wrong it takes a lot of time not something that
3: everyone will choose to do for sure
1: all right well i think that wraps up our show I want to say thank you constantine for taking the time to be on the show today and chat with us
2: thank you thank you for invitation you're very welcome it's been good to have you with us thank you to our listeners for tuning in be sure to join us again next week for another roundup of all your markets tech and community news related to the ongoing and active evolution of the ethereum blockchain if you have any questions you'd like answered on the podcast you can Connect with each of us on Twitter. Our handles are in today's show notes. Give us a shout out and fan mail is definitely welcome. We'd love to hear from you.
1: True. Also, please do subscribe to our newsletters. I write one every week on ETH 2.0 Development. You can find it at coindesk.com. Ben also writes one called What's New in ETH 2. He puts out an issue bi-weekly and you can find it at eth2.news or follow him on Twitter and he'll let you know when the next one is out. See you next week for Mapping Out ETH 2.0, Ethereum as it was meant to be.
0: Goodbye. Bye everybody. You have been listening to Mapping Out ETH 2.0, part of the CoinDesk Podcast Network. This episode featured Christine, Kim and Ben Edgington. Today's show is produced, edited and announced by Michelle Mousseau with music by Tide Electric. Did you enjoy the show? We would love to hear what you think. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or your preferred service and talk to us directly via email at podcasts at coindesk.com.